right? Because I've not yet even begun. That's the thing. I'm just trying to lay foundation, right? And then we'll move together, right? Because tonight I want to really sum up the entire, bring a review of what we have seen until now, right? Yes, so again, uh, Leviticus 26, I'm reading a little faster. It says, do not make idols or set up an image or a sacred stone for yourselves. And do not place a carved stone in your land to bow down before it. I am the Lord your God. Observe Shabbat, and I'm calling it the Hebrew, it's called Shabbat. Observe Shabbat and have reverence for my sanctuary, I am the Lord. So, the subtitle, I know you have subtitle there. What does your subtitle say, Professor Githeko? The subtitles, subtitle, okay, whoever has, what does, what? Thank you, reward for obedience, yeah, thank you so much. Reward for obedience. So now you understand what we're dealing with. I'm simply today laying for you the foundation of the rapture of the church. Where is it founded? And you find that you find that this principle governs the entire of God's dealing with man. That's why today I've fetched it, I've derived it from here to be able to buttress you, to strengthen you, right? Hallelujah. It says, verse 3, if you follow my decree, Again, if you follow my decrees and be careful to obey my commands, I will send you rain in a seasons, and the ground will yield its crop, and the trees their fruit. Your threshing will continue until grape harvest, and the grape harvest will continue until planting, and you will eat all the food you want and live in safety in your land, including homeland security. Including homeland security, safety. Meaning he will make sure no enemy attacks them, right? And then he goes on to say, verse 6, he says, I'll grant peace in the land and you will lie down and no one will make you afraid. I like people say, hey, you see that? Yes. I will remove wild beasts from the land and the sword will not pass through your country. You'll pursue your enemies and they'll fall by the sword before you. Five of you will chase a hundred, and a hundred of you will chase ten thousand, and your enemies will fall by the sword before you. I'll look on you with favor and make you fruitful and increase your numbers, and I'll keep my covenant with you. You will still be eating last year's harvest when you will have to move. You'll have to move it out to make room for the new harvest. I'll put my dwelling place among you, and I will not abhor you. I mean, and I will not abhor you. Verse 12. I'll I'll walk among you and be your God, and you'll be my people. I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of Egypt, so that you would no longer be slaves to the Egyptians. I broke the bar of the yoke, the bar of your yoke, and enabled you to walk with heads held high. Verse 14, he says, so, so after all of the above until there, is that when you obey, if you will obey my word, if you will obey the instructions my prophets are giving you, it applies even now, that's why it says read it, that then you will enjoy this. Then after this, he brings sanctions now, if you don't. Punishment for disobedience. The first part was reward for obedience. 
Then he says, but if you will not listen to me and carry out my commands, and if you reject my decrees and abhor my laws, and fail to carry out my commands, and so violate my covenant, then I will do this to you. It is a terrible thing not to listen to the prophets of Yahweh. It is unbelievable, unbearable. I'm bringing this in the context of what we have seen in the strategic scripture structure that he has laid, the prophetic profile where he has put the rapture as a strategy somewhere, that you people don't enter the 70th week, but those that violated him, that is for them. That's why I'm reading this. Are we together? This is very serious, extremely serious. He says punishment for, for, for disobedience. But if, you, but if you not listen to me and carry out my, all of these commands, and if you reject my decrees and abhor my laws, and fail to carry out my commands, and so violate my covenant, then I'll do this to you. I'll bring on you sudden terror, wasting diseases, and fever that will destroy your sight and sap your strength. You plant seed in vain because your enemies will eat it. I will set my face against you so that you will be defeated by your enemies. Those who hate you rule over you and you flee even when no one is pursuing you. You'll be running for your life with Nuru even when no one is chasing you. Because they ask you, what, what, why, why, what is it? You will be in that kind of state. Verse 18. If after all this, after doing that to you, you will not listen to me, I'll punish you for your sins seven times over. I'll break down your stubborn pride and make the sky above you like iron and the ground beneath you like bronze, meaning shut the heavens above you that it may not rain. This is serious. Your strength will be spent in vain because your soil will not yield its crop, nor will the trees of your land yield their fruits, no vitamins, your susceptible disease, no food, hunger, famine, judgment is in the land, right? If you remain hostile to me and refuse to listen to me, I will multiply your affliction seven times over as your sins deserve. Verse 22. I will send wild animals against you and they will rob off your children from your hands and destroy your cattle and make you so few in number that your roads will be deserted. That is serious. If in spite of all these things you still do not accept my correction and continue to be hostile towards me, I myself will be hostile towards you and will afflict you for your sins seven times over. Verse 25. And I'll bring the sword on you to avenge the breaking of the covenant. When you withdraw into your cities, I'll send a plague among you and you will be given into enemy hands. When I cut off your supply of bread, then women will be, be, will be able to bake your bread in one oven and they will dole out the bread by weight. You will eat, but you will not be satisfied. Verse 27, it says, If in spite of all this, you still do not listen to me, but continue to be hostile towards me, 
then in my anger I will be hostile towards you and I myself will punish you for your sin seven times over verse 29 he says you will eat the flesh of your sons and the flesh of your daughters I will destroy your high places and cut down your incense altars and pile your dead bodies on the lifeless forms of your idols and I will abhor you. I will turn your cities into ruins and desolate and lay to waste the sanctuaries. And I will take no delight in the pleasing aromas of your offerings. I myself will lay waste the land so that your enemies who live there will be appalled. I will scatter you among the nations and will draw out my sword and pursue you. Your land will be laid waste and your cities will lie in ruin. In fact, when you read there, you can't help but have the picture of COVID, right? You can't help but have the picture of COVID. How all cities locked down. A big lockdown. All cities were laid, laid bare, desolate, laid waste. Why? Because of disobedience, right? Because of not obeying. We went all over the world telling them, repent, repent, repent. They refuse to repent. We are going around again. Hallelujah. So very serious. So, so this, and he talks about the fact that you will die out there. When you read up to the end, he says, and you will die out there. And indeed, when you look at those that went out, most of them, they did not come back. They didn't come back. So I have read this because this is the foundation of what we are handling now, of the rapture of the church. And that's why the Lord sends us to you with the instruction that those that obey us, they obey the Lord literally because the cloud of God has covered us. Everybody now knows that. And so those that will obey the Lord, obey us, he says the following, then you will be rewarded into glory. But those, those that will not, you will judge and punish. This, this is very serious. The Lord Almighty is using this and makes it very clear that disobedience has consequence. And he's saying the following, that when a people are in the land, based on how they obey the Lord, it will affect the following. Three things. Number one, will affect the quality, their life there at that moment. Judgment will befall you right there. And then number two, will affect your destiny, destination. Where you will end up. Either hell, or you will end up where? In, the, in, in, in heaven, Right? And then number three, that will be the setting of your history that people will be reading. That once upon a time was a generation here that did not obey the Lord, and the Lord judged them, and they ended up, ended up in the, they suffered in the land, and ended up in the lake of fire. So this is very, very serious that you also get to catch this. You see from the life of Israel, this has been characteristic of them, how they lived, disobeying the Lord, and the Lord is laying that before you also, in this age of the Gentile church, and he's saying that disobeying the Lord will have consequence. And that is the standard the Lord has set up always, that he lays forth his requirements, he lays forth his message to you. Those that obey are rewarded. Those that do not obey, they are punished. He said, if you walk in my statutes, I will open heaven and bring rain. Look at that now. That plenty. He will be able to bring prosperity in the land. They will eat well. They will be of good health. They will not lack food. They are not going to be humiliated. And so now you can understand the current state also on the earth, right? 
And I laid this for you because this is the governing principle that governs the rapture of the church that we are trumpeting to you. That if you will obey the instruction of the Lord, the voice of the Lord at this hour, then you will have the best. You will enter to glory. If you not, then it will be judgment. And he says seven times over, he will judge them and so forth and so forth, right? And so with that little introduction, I want us now to get started, step by step. I want us to look at the rapture of the church. Again, what I've said is the following. If you focus on me so I can bring you to par, is the following. I've said the rapture is being announced. The coming of the Messiah is being announced. You're being told, be holy, be righteous, walk in the fear of God. All that is being said, and you're preaching it also, right? And then I said at one point you need to pull yourself a little bit out so that you can look at the prophetic profile that the Lord is pursuing. We made a quick fast forward. We saw that there is the eternal kingdom established. It is a zero countdown. And the rapture is a very important part, important part of God's redemption program for mankind. So now you are able to see it from a different angle. That, wow, the rapture is so important. So, and it has been there. God set it that way from the beginning. How he's going to redeem mankind after the fall, right? And that's why it's amazing that you are the generation where now he's announcing to you, the Messiah is coming, prepare, the 70th week is about to happen, you're checking your news, you're seeing all that stuff, right? And so, can we now turn to the scripture that describes the cascade of the rapture. And again, this is supposed to be a review, so if you allow me, I just run through things, right? The scripture that rolls out that the cascade of the rapture, First Thessalonians chapter 4, we are together here, tonight we are going quite far. First Thessalonians chapter 4, I'm going to read verses 13 all the way to verse 18, and then I will lay it out, I'll open it up for you, right? In the context of now looking at it from above, the global picture now, panoramic view, if you will, right? Hallelujah. First Thessalonians, once you're there, we read together. I'm going to read it here. Chapter 4. It has been such a mainstay, foundational scripture, because it lays out how that day will unfold. Hallelujah. So it says, so if you allow me today, I will really open up everything, if you allow me. All these things I'm going to read in a hurry, but later I'll come back and open them up. It says, brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. This is very serious. He's saying, it is a terrible thing and he does not want it to happen to you. He's saying, it's a terrible thing and he does not want it to happen to you. It's a terrible thing for Christians people who are born again, genuine love Christ, to be ignorant about the destination of believers. The destination. The destiny. That's what he's saying. That how do you get in there if you don't know how it's going to end? Where are you going to end up? He's saying that we must know where we are going to end up. It's very important to know the destination of Christian believers, born again people, Right? And even most importantly here, he's touching on the death of a believer, but we'll see that in a moment. Verse 14, he says, For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. That is very powerful. He's saying that Christians have to live their lives totally differently from the rest of the world. Why? Because he's saying, 
owing to the courtesy of the death and resurrection of Jesus, now he can take death, which is a very sad event, with all the cruelty of death, as you see in the book of Psalm 55, verses 4 and 6, Psalm 55, 4 and 6, the cruelty of death, where terror of death has consumed you, the agony has consumed, the claws of death have clutched you, and the pain of death, and the wailing, and the mourning, and the funerals, and everything, the terror of death, He's saying, owing to the death and resurrection of Jesus, now we can take hope and combine with that. In other words, neutralize the cruelty, the sting of death. Do you understand what he's saying? That's an awesome thing to be born again. Because when you're born again, then Jesus already neutralized the sting of death, the cruelty, the claws of death. He smashed them. In other words, he gave you a safe passage. You don't fear death anymore. Hallelujah. That is very serious. And we're going to talk about this later. Because it's mentioned in big things that those who sleep in death and so forth, I'll open up for you like I did last time here. Why does he call his sleep? He's laying a warning right there. He's saying that whenever somebody is created by Jehovah, they live on, rather, I don't want to use the word live, they exist forever. He's warning you there, be very careful. That once Jehovah has created you, you will exist forever. I didn't want, you, you noted I avoided the word live. Because eventually I will also be able, if I get time, to split for you immortality that you share, that is a prerogative of God. He gives those that go now to, to, to have eternal life with Him. But those that go down, they go eternal death. That's why I'm avoiding the word life, living. I'm saying existence. So he's saying, in other words, that when you're on this earth, you are just a pilgrim, a passerby, a sojourner, a passenger passing by, a lodger, a tenant. He's saying that this is not your home by the fact that he's saying death. He's using now the word sleep metaphor for death, sleep. He's warning you that be careful. <laughs> Don't think that your life is for squandering here. Because death is mere sleep. Because when you sleep, you have to wake up. And you wake up to accountability. So if you allow me just to run through, that will help us. Right? So he's talking about this lead scripture here. And those big things like, in other words, this world is not your home. In other words, when you're here, just use this time to prepare for the next life. The kingdom of God. Eternal life. Accountability. Right? Are we together? And then he goes on to say here, blessed people, verse 15, according to the Lord's own word, according to the Lord's word, we tell you the truth that we who are still alive and are left until the coming of the Lord will certainly not, certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. He's using we, 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 we. What is the meaning of we? Okay, number one, the we stands for the fact that that generation, that first century church expected the rapture to happen then. But that is amazing. That's right there is an indictment, is a rebuke to the present day church. That in the first century church already they expected the Messiah to come there. And you are very thankful that he didn't come at that time, that he gave you a chance to be born, physically created, and then be born again and live in this time. If he came then you don't you wouldn't have had a chance to live, right? Did you understand? So the we 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 is talking about that church, that first century church. They are waiting for the Messiah. You remember when, when the message was preached for them, right? 
All of them, after that message was preached, they walked out of there one by one. They gave out their homes, right? And they are the Shamba in Swahili, in Kenya. They gave out and they went to a field and they just started waiting for the Messiah. Until sometimes people ask, hey, kwani yo ujumbe aliubiri kwa njia gani? Ambapo kila moja alitoka tu hapo moja kwa moja tu shamba. Hallelujah. So I mean, I mean for those who are tuned in the English speaking Spanish and everywhere globally. So in other words he's saying what kind of sermon was that? That when they finished they came out of that church they simply went home and started giving out all their homes. And they went to a small field and started just worshipping, looking up into the sky. Serious stuff, right? And I'm saying that's an indictment to this generation. Because for them, they are waiting for the Messiah in that order. They have not seen the cloud of God come to them, the rain of Mount Carmel on them, cripples walking, but they just went ahead and did what? And, uh, and, and began to wait for the Messiah. So we represent them. Number two, we represent the following. We represent the last generation before the rapture. The last generation when the rapture will take place. The last generation. That was called we, we. Hallelujah. Because it says, and then verse 16, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with a trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Again, there is a whole cascade that is laying down how the Lord will come down in a big way, right? With pomp and color and circumstance, right? As a triumphant king. Are you, did you notice that? He's coming as a triumphant king. And so, he's saying the following. Again, I read it, verse 16. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. If I were you and I read 16, I would first go back to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1 verse 9, right? Hallelujah. And once I get there, I would just read it right away, right? Acts chapter 1 verse 9, he says, to 11. After he said this, he was taken right before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight, they were looking up intently, in other words, anxiousmente with anxiety, up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, Why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him taken. Then I would go back to First Thessalonians. We'll say, For the Lord himself, meaning in his human body, just the same way he went in the glorious human body, is the way he will come back in a glorious human body. But this time around, of course, you know that he is not going to step his feet on the, on the Mount of Olives, an event, an, an event I have seen already. But he will stand there. So he's coming back in the same human body. That's what he meant there. That in the same way he has gone, he is now saying here, the Lord himself, in the same human body, except that this time around, glorious. Why do some people look kitchen chin? Don't look kitchen chin when you're here. <laughs> you might look like an enemy here, right? Just, you, this is home. Just feel at home. Don't look kitchen chin here. Yes, don't, 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 don't do that here. So, um, 
This is powerful. This time around with infinite glory, with eternal glory, totally glorified, with a crown, with a circumstance of a victorious king, the announcements, the trumpet, the voice of the archangel is coming as a triumphant king. That is what he means by the Lord himself. It's a very big event. I have seen that event and it will take place soon. And so, that is what he implies here. For the Lord himself, meaning as he went in that body, the human body that he went with, but glorified, the resurrection body, but glorified now with eternal glory, enormous glory, with infinite glory, with tremendous power, with his sovereignty, with his reign, with his kingdom, he is coming. With heavenly hosts, and the announcements attendant, attendant to that. Hallelujah. And trumpets. Hallelujah. And then today, if you allow me, I will go very deep. Plus the shout, if you allow me. Hallelujah. And so, he goes on to say, with the trumpet call of God. Again, he says, from heaven, a loud command, the voice of the archangel, and the trumpet call of God. I want to nail down even the archangel. Which angel will this be? Which angel is this one? If you allow me tonight. So we have allowed you. Move on then. Okay. Sure, sure. Right? So he's saying the following. After that, he's saying, and then the dead, he said, trumpet call of God, and then he says, the dead in Christ will rise. soul, the status of the human soul. Because you and I now know very well that the human soul never sleeps, never dies. 
Only the body dies. So if you are not aware of the condition your soul is, how then shall you do soul care? Shall you nurture it? Now, do you understand now the tragedy? You rather understand how the soul is and how important it is as the worship center of the earth, for, uh, rather of the Lord in you, for you now to take care of your soul. In other words, let me give an example here. In other words, if you look at just this alone, I could take this and become a 10-hour someone here, this one here. On the big ignorance that is in the church today. That when you look at the nudity of women in the church today, the immorality in the house today, the homosexuality that has come in, then you can tell very clearly that in this generation also there is an ignorance that is in the church. That's number one. On the soul. And then you find that, look at this now, that the church in Thessaloniki, they were ignorant in panic. They are ignorant and panicking because they feared that they would lose the, the benefits of rapture, the grand reunion with Christ and their loved ones that have died. They feared that they may not benefit, they may not reunite with Christ, those who have died. So their fear was genuine and very powerful. They were instead just afraid that, wow, will we make it? Will we be able to benefit from rapture? But in this generation, their ignorance is different. It's people that have entrenched themselves into sin ratifying homosexuality. So that is totally different. A people that have openly chosen immorality. Women are walking naked in the church. Nobody can rebuke them. So that is totally different. So in fact, the ignorance in this time is worse. So the others were genuine because they were ignorant as to they really want to enter. Right? But they are ignorant as in now they are living in open sin. Oh yeah, that is the seriousness he's talking about here. And if you look at the way the pulpit is handled by today's pastors, whereby money, 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 sow a seed, get what? Then you can tell that they are totally ignorant on the gravity of the pulpit. Number two, on the cost of salvation. Number three, on the gravity of the calling of God at this hour. So that ignorance is a big thing. That can be a 10 hour sermon. The ignorance in the present day church. So it's not just the church in Thessaloniki. Even today you have the big population in the church, the ignorant brethren, the ignorant church. A majority of them. That's why you see, sin is condoned. False prophecies are flying everywhere. Money is being harvested. Run with money the fruit of who? Where the gospel is being sold. That is big ignorance. If you see the way they trivialize sin, then you can tell they are ignorant on the holiness of God. So if you took ignorance, that can be such a big summon, but we'll come on to that. I know last time I did that, but uh, we'll come on to that with time. Then he says, uh, he says, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Look at that now. So the answer finally arrives to that church. When they thought that their loved ones have gone down, that is it, they are lost. Their souls are lost. The soul never sleeps. They are not aware. Oh, that is very serious. If you knew that your soul exists forever, you begin to take care of where you want it to spend eternity. So now the issue is here. The answer comes. The answer comes to them when they are finally told that the dead in Christ will rise first. Meaning, 
on the day of rapture, there will be preferential treatment. They will benefit first before those who are alive. Are we still together? They will take the, look at this again. They will take the benefit first on the day of rapture. However, they are already benefiting from it. Because their souls have already gone to be in a conscious, conscious presence of God. With God. And that's why you see, he says, that we believe that Christ died, that when that day comes, God will send Christ with, the, with those who died earlier. Meaning, the souls are in constant presence of the Lord, fellowship. Look at this now. And in there, if you get time to read the book of Revelation, chapter 6, verses 9 to 11, then you'll find that they have an intermediary body. They have a spiritual body, which is given a garment to wear. Are we together? A spiritual body is given a garment. So where's the garment? Are we still together? And then, look at this now. So when they are coming from there, that's when their bodies that died on the earth here are, will now be glorified, resurrected, glorified, and then now uh, their spiritual bodies and soul will now enter that eternal house, right? Are we together? So for you, your understanding is that power, you, are, you understand this very well, so you can help the sheep, right? And so, this is very serious. So he goes on here to say, that the dead in Christ will rise first, they will benefit first. I have seen the rapture of the dead church, remember? Yeah, again now. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Look at this now. This is very serious. This is extremely serious. A very bold move by God. The Lord Almighty has made a bold move and stepped forward and promised this. He has said that there is a day coming when the Christians will be feared on this earth. He's saying a day is coming when Christians will literally, physically, literally, physically leave their clothes and everything here and watch and shoes and they will fly over the clouds physically and they will go up there glorious and glorified and they will meet the Lord. They will ask them, where are you going? Where are you going? They say, no, we have mansions up there. We have mansions up there. You do not know that there are mansions up there. So that is serious that the Lord can step forward and promise that. That is very serious. That the whole world will be shocked to understand that you are physical people whose faces you know, whose names you know, whose mailing address you know, will leave this place and go totally into heaven eternally. I have seen that day. I have seen that day. I have seen them entering. So it will take place. But I'm saying what a day because it will really set out the distinction between the Christians and everybody else. And then it will also make people understand why these people of ministry of repentance and holiness, they always dress like that, they always walk like that, they always preach like that, they always dance like that, and they celebrate like that, and they met like that, and they worship like that, and they stay under those tents, and they do not have big buildings, they do not have crystal cathedrals, they do not build of God. They did not build of silver, but they were just with tents. Naviraka, but Vuete, Wanatembea, the creepers were walking inside there. Hallelujah! They will finally understand why we have been in the tents. 
not stone buildings. And yet creepers are walking. Hallelujah. They'll finally understand why the daughters of the Lord here dress the way they do. In other words, they will be revealed through the revelation of the hidden secret of the holiness you have been living will be revealed on that day. Why you have been so zealous, they tell you, do corruption in this office, you refused. That's the day they will understand that, wow, now we understood why they lived the way they did. That God opened their eyes to the truth of holiness and his treasure. And they pursued it. And beheld unto it. So that's very serious. Can you sit down? Very, very serious what he's saying here. But it's a very bold move by the Lord to step forward and promise such a monument that real physical people are going to enter heaven, stay in the new Jerusalem that I've seen. And not come back. Stay there and be with Jesus and only come back to Jerusalem and reign with him there. And then enter the eternal state. That is very serious. And so this is what I want us to work on now. When you look at this scripture right now, just the way as it is, and this is why, you know, it has been very important for us to have this conversation, right? Because even our doings of this must now be different, right? Because now, if you look at this scripture we've read, which is the cascade, the rollout, the layout, the unfolding of that day, how the day will develop step by step that day. Now, when you read it like that, what are the things that you pick out real quick as the quick message, your so-called low-hanging fruits? That you can just take right away. What are the things you see that right away just shout at you right away? Scream at you. One of them is clearly right there. You see that there is a rescue. Hallelujah. There is a grand rescue. Because we already saw the strategic position within the prophetic profile where the Lord positioned the rapture. Right before the 27th week. But I'm reading now Revelation chapter 3 verse 10 that you may understand it's a rescue. That he has to, he, to, to snatch the church out. Revelation chapter 3. Okay, okay. We are going to do a lot of stuff here today. Yeah, hallelujah. Revelation chapter 3 verse 10. It says the following. And remember this is a context within a big message to the church in Philadelphia, right? So just picking one to underscore this. It says, since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I also will keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come to the whole known world to test the inhabitants of the earth. That is very serious. And then down there, the imminency, verse 11, I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have, that no one will take your crown. Those are big things you have said right there. Very big indeed. Huge. For example, if you read, now, in that scripture, he's right away saying the following. He's saying, that for those who are obedient to him, and they have been patient, meaning there is a persecution, he's saying, because you have held on, endured patiently, obeyed his command to endure patiently, meaning not renounce Jesus, meaning several opportunities showed up, where other people renounced Jesus, but for you, you stood and refused to renounce him. If you read earlier verses 7 and so forth, you will see that being trumpeted very much, that you kept my word in your heart. And so this is a very big thing, blessed people. Because in that alone you can also see that the Lord is saying something very mighty and monumental right there. Because he's saying big things at the same time that he's going to snatch her owing to. You see, look at this now. Because you have done this, I also will do this. It's conditional. So if somebody tells you, no, you don't have to do a thing, if it's a finished job, then probably you need to re-examine that, right? 
Because you have responsibility. The church has responsibility. Yes, you even when the manna comes, you have to step out and go and harvest it, right? Yes, because otherwise the Lord would have just put one omer, one omer in every uh, house as they need, right? Hallelujah. He's capable of doing that, right? And so, this is very serious. He's saying, you, you see, first of all, it's such an awesome thing, but this scripture alone, look at what he says here. Since you have kept my command, if I were you, I would want to know, what does it mean to keep his command? Number two, what is the command he has given that needs to be kept? Those are big things, right? Because you don't want to get it wrong, right? To endure patiently. What does it mean to endure patiently? 